Blog Talk Radio. This is Saida Garrett, and I'm tuned in to Intro to Info with my girl, Makisha. You are listening to Intro to Info with your host, Makisha from D.C. That's me, open-minded, business-minded, spiritual, a little hood, and very nerdy and down-to-earth. And Queen of Hearts from Florida. She's so ladylike, family-oriented, quick-witted, and a real pillar in her community. On our platform, we discuss anything imaginable, but we talk a lot of pop culture, current events, and speak on our personal life experiences. We interview fantastic guests with unique stories, and Lord knows we just have organic fun. And check this out. If you want to join in on the fun, call in at 515-605-9376. We are live on Saturdays from 9 to 10 p.m. EST on the J. King Network. If you are an info for info, tune in to Intro to Info. Blog Talk Radio. This is Saida Garrett, and I'm tuned in to Intro to Info with my girl, Makisha. You are listening to Intro to Info with your host, Makisha from D.C. That's me, open-minded, business-minded, spiritual, a little hood, and very nerdy and down-to-earth. And Queen of Hearts from Florida. She's so ladylike, family-oriented, quick-witted, and a real pillar in her community. On our platform, we discuss anything imaginable, but we talk a lot of pop culture, current events, and speak on our personal life experiences. We interview fantastic guests with unique stories, and Lord knows we just have organic fun. And check this out. If you want to join in on the fun, call in at 515-605-9376. We are live on Saturdays from 9 to 10 p.m. EST on the J. King Network. If you are an info for info, tune in to Intro to Info. Once again, it's on. Welcome to today's episode of Intro to Info. I'm Nakisha Best, your gracious host, and I'm broadcasting live from the Washington, D.C. area, as I do every Saturday, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the J. King Network. I'm excited for today's show. Um, Did I mention a date? Nope. Today is Saturday, June 3rd. 2023. Listen, if you're listening live or via the archives podcast, it's much appreciated. Your listenership is much appreciated. As we continue to try to get different guests with different stories so that you can learn different things on a weekly basis, uh, that's the goal. So today's guest, I'm, I'm sitting up here reading her like bio and I'm just, I'm already in awe, so I can't wait to just speak with her 
And we have a survivor on the show, a warrior, somebody who um, is enduring. And uh, this is timely, matter of fact, because I feel like a lot of the, what is that, Generation Z, Gen Zs, I feel like they need to um, understand that they have more strength than they realize and they underestimate the natural strength. And that everything is not about appeal. Everything is not anxiety, depression, the need to uh, be suicidal. And that's real talk because I'm seeing too much of a trend. Now, I'm not um, making light of any of those aforementioned things, but it's, I'm seeing it to the point of it's like, okay, now this is, they just using that as a, a way out every day. Uh, and I just want them to understand that everyday life problems is not the end of the world. You're going to have to learn how to navigate everyday life because if you're just, I don't know, 19 or 20 and you plan to uh, have a career and a family and you're going to be aging all the while, life is going to keep coming at you good, unexpected, all of the above. You're going to have to learn how to uh, roll with the punches, the good and the bad. So, that said, Carrie, I'm going to take you off of mute because I, I need to talk to you. I need you to um, help these Gen Zs understand that they need to know that they underestimate the strength that they have naturally. Thank you for being our guest today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Much appreciated to oh. be a guest. Very honored. Oh, thank you for giving us an hour of your time. Um, the other co-hosts should be joining us shortly. Um, and I'm reading the blurb that you put on the podcast guest uh, um, group. And so what I wanted, I'm going to formulate my own questions. I want to begin with um, asking where you're from originally. St. Louis, Missouri, in the house. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, what, let me, what's St. Louis like? It's, I mean, it's definitely Midwest, but with a with a little little with a little zing, I guess. I've I've grown up in the suburbs my whole life, mostly you know outside of the city itself. Uh, mm-hmm. The city itself is pretty lively, and but the suburbs are kind of you know, more down to earth. You know, I'm used to taking a hike mm-hmm. in the woods and playing in the creek and worrying about chicks and things like that but then you go down to the city and it's you know we've got the metro now and the cardinals and now we have a soccer team and it's just like all kinds of fun live stuff to do downtown so i love them both very nice very nice now and just talking to you you seem to have um i don't know a bubbly nature i don't know if it's because you're on the air but it's just like the (laughs) The um, you know the diagnoses and the things that you've been through. I, I'm getting the impression that you don't let those uh, bring you down or keep you down. So I want to just explain um, just some of your health challenges as you um, have grown up. And how old are you now? I'm actually doing great now. I so my I was born with cystic fibrosis. It's a genetic disease. My parents. My my parents actually split when I was pretty young, but neither one of them raised me like I had a chronic illness. Uh, the survival rate when I was diagnosed was like late teens, and 
aged with the trend. Um, science, research, things like that have really helped medicine become available for patients that are, you know, still young, not, not having had a transplant yet. Uh, I went to college, um, which was kind of unheard of at the time. It made me really sick, unfortunately, but I was able to get a job. I graduated with an accounting degree, and I was one of those nasty auditors that nobody likes to see coming into their business, telling them what to do, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. (laughs) Um, I was told by my doctors that I had to quit working because working was essentially making me sick. And I got, I waited for, and thankfully received a transplant at the age of 27. I have been through it. Like when they talk obstacles and when they talk things that can happen to you after transplant, I feel like so many of them, if not a majority of them have happened to me, but I'm currently in I guess you would call it chronic rejection remission because I started treatment in 2018 for it. And now being five years later, I've stabilized. I'm doing good. Like my appointments take five minutes. It's like, hi, how you doing? I'm doing great. All right. Let's listen to you. You look great. You sound great. Now get out of here. And I love it that way. (laughs) So the bubbly personality. No, that's kind of me, but yes, it has, it has helped get me through some pretty dark times. So it's so much about your attitude when you're facing struggles that, I mean, I'm not going to say I haven't been down. Like I've definitely been down. I think I even struggled with a bout of depression for a little while during COVID, like probably half the world, if not more, just being stuck at home and not being able to mentor others, which like brings me so much joy because I'm like, otherwise, what is the reason for me having all of these difficulties if I can't help someone else? So, uh, yeah, like attitude is, is so much, so much about making Like, I feel like that's when I meet patients and mentoring and I hear their personality and just their, like, how far they've come or where they are and how they feel about transplant, I'm, I just kind of have an intuition the positive ones are like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do what I need to do. I'm like, yes, you're gonna do all right. You keep that attitude, and you're gonna do okay. Now, Carrie, cystic fibrosis is not one that I'm familiar with. Can you explain more? Okay, to get super scientific on you, cystic fibrosis is a genetic mutation where the body does not absorb sodium chloride in its cells at the very basic level. So all throughout your body, you have fluid, like we're made up of what, 80, 90% water. Um, In that water, there is sodium chloride, which helps keep your body's natural system, your lungs, your nose, your sinuses, things like that, very viscous, helps you you know, cough stuff out that shouldn't be in your lungs, help you, helps you blow your nose when there's stuff up there that you shouldn't have with cystic fibrosis because we don't have that sodium chloride absorption. The fluid in our body is very thick. Everything's thickened. So the body's natural systems are actually blocked. So some CFRs struggle with uh, diabetes because their pancreas um, 
is blocked and to a certain extent to where insulin can't get out or like I I'm not a doctor so please don't quote me this is just my understanding but like our enzymes that we have to digest our food even is blocked so we have to supplement different things that our body is supposed to do for us with medicine so like mm-hmm. we take enzymes before every meal to help digest our food and we take insulin if need be to help our body regulate its its glucose retention some people really struggle struggle with liver disease with CF. Not that many, thankfully, but some do. They have things that they have to do with their liver. Um, a great majority of males are born sterile because uh, in utero, their like man's deferens didn't uh, fully connect. For a lot of women, it's difficult to get pregnant because there's just you know, the, the fluid I was talking about is very thick and it like blocks the ability to, you know, naturally conceive mm-hmm. children. Um, so there's just a lot of different things like that, that, but mostly it's known for impacting the lungs because the lungs have so much fluid in them just to kind of help keep them moist, help keep them healthy. And for us, the, the thicker it's thicker so unfortunately it actually helps harbor infection dry them out right thank you for breaking down um thank you for breaking that down and that's what i'm saying part of the reason i do this show is to educate my own self and to be able to pick somebody's breath for an hour like say i still didn't understand i'm like can you wait a minute say more like but i I get the gist and yeah that's that, that is something, and I've and I've I've never like you know how some diseases oh that sounds like you know fill in the blank but this one sounds very unique and it's like what it does. Yeah, and it's it's mostly European in nature. Like it was kind of more seen in the Europe, European Caucasian population, and it's like. Uh, it is considered a rare disease, technically still. I want to say it's one in 25,000 births uh, people have cystic fibrosis. So you have to be a carrier. Your parents have to be carriers of this recessive trait, and both parents. And then there's only a 25% chance that both carrier parents actually conceive a child with cystic fibrosis. So it is. It's not like it's easy to get. Uh, it's not as rare as some diseases out there, but it's still considered a rare disease, um, I guess, under the qualifications of a rare disease. So you might see uh, on, I think there's National Rare Disease Day, some people with CS post like, hey, I have a rare disease. So... Wow. Okay. So you said before yeah. a meal you have to take enzymes and insulin. Is that that's what you're saying? So I don't actually have to take insulin. I'm not diabetic. I say I will say yet. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's probably mm-hmm. a, it's just going to happen. But yes, enzymes like that contain lipase and protease, and I forget what the third. Uh, part of it is but yes like what your body naturally releases in order to break down your food so you can absorb it 
properly, our bodies cannot. So it's very common in the CF community to, for people to be malnourished, malnourished, like they're not growing like they should. They're not absorbing the food that they should, like the vitamins and, you know, the, the nutrition. So we tend to be smaller uh, in stature and in girth, I guess. Until mm-hmm. uh, actually, until this new drug that's been out for a little while, but more recently um, able to be given to kids now, it's called Trikafta, and it has extended the life expectancy of the like the CFR with the most common mutation to I want to say 65, and the patients mm-hmm. that are on this drug are just exceeding all expectations they're gaining weight their lung function is getting better they're you know it's just it's amazing what that drug is helping people with cf achieve that is amazing i I really um am thankful for these all these technologies and these like updates to just help with these types of things and so is there ever any pain associated with this, with CF? Um, yes. The so the GI system, like if it if you don't get your enzymes right, you can have a lot of pain and bloating, and like it just it just hurts. Think like the best way I can describe it is like if you've ever had abdominal surgery. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it can hurt like that. So sometimes it's like, okay, which side is the, which side of the body is this on? Is this maybe just my natural course of pain or did my appendix burst <laughs> kind of <laughs> like make sure that it's not one of those things. Um, so that can be painful. And then at end stage, at the end of life of the like natural life for a CFR, if like myself uh, and, and my husband as, I, I think I mentioned in my bio, um, yeah. it can hurt to breathe because there's tiny little muscles in your within your rib cage, and when you can't breathe, it, it, your lungs are clogged or they're dry or for whatever reason they're not performing like they naturally should. There's pain um, involved in just in breathing. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, it's fifty-three. I apologize. So the the median life expectancy is now fifty-three, thanks to that drug Trikafta, not sixty-five. But yeah, like those that are in end stage CF, either hoping for a transplant or maybe they've decided they don't want one. If they're hoping for a transplant, they're actually not allowed to take any kind of pain medications. So no opiate-based pain medications, no, nothing with THC in it, like none of the stuff that is typically given when it's end-of-life type stuff. Um, what they can do is Tylenol, ibuprofen. I was actually on some sort of um, arthritis, I think, type medicine, but specifically uh, it would it helped my lungs. So it was my way of staying true or clean or honest for my transplant to still qualify for a transplant. 
but at the same time, like I knew patients my age that just said, you know what, no, I, I'd rather be comfortable. And so they decided to go, you know, like the pain medicine route and and didn't qualify for transplant because of those choices. Right. Right. And I see that you were, um, you did get a transplant in 2004? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm exceeding the life expectancy for transplants as well. So they said it was about a 50% survival at five years, and I am at 18 and a half years here in the next month or so. So they just can't get rid of me. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> they keep trying, but I'm like, no, and I fight it. <laughs> but you know what, Carrie, I just find it interesting with the doctors. That's why what they do is called a practice, and it sounds to me like a lot of the, the predictions that they had for you were wrong, and they're wrong so many of the time. That's, that's why I love the fact that they call it a practice because it's just that. <laughs> it's just that. So talk more about that, you know. About how they're practicing on me or about how I survived? <laughs> but just about how you, they said they had they had all these, uh, uh, what they said that they thought was going to happen, that didn't happen for you. It was the whole total opposite. That's why this is a practice. They don't really know a lot of the time. So that's where <laughs> you, and trusting in them and just, you know, blindly trusting them. I mean, they know what they're talking about sometimes, but the, the practice is the real thing. Yeah, I do not <laughs> blindly trust them. So that's probably part of it. I am mm-hmm. absolutely one of those people is like, why are you giving me this? What is it? I don't know about that. Yeah. Let me see. Or I'll wait and see. Or no, I'm not going to do it. Or, you know, like I just kind of, when you have had a chronic condition your whole life, you know your body and you know how it's going to respond to things. And so around the age of 23, I was at a hospital with a doctor that I did just kind of all along just kind of say, yeah, whatever you say, whatever I'm supposed to do, I'll do it. And I was in and out of hospital so much and I didn't feel like I was really being taken care of. And some of the things that happened in the hospital would be like gross malpractice stuff. If I wasn't a lot like awake to say, no, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do it that way. Like to some of the nurses. Mm -hmm. So I left that that particular uh, CF care team and hospital and came to a new one. And I fully trusted this guy, but I definitely learned that I had to be my own advocate. And the thing with lung transplant is the, the lungs are exposed to everything in the external environment. So we're not just trying to combat our own body's natural response to trying to say, hey, these aren't my lungs. We're also combating environmental factors. So like smog or dirt or dust or, you know, or COVID or viruses, like anything like that, that we breathe in, our lungs are fighting. And so we're also part of a group. They kind of compact us all in and say, okay, everybody that we've transplanted, here's what's happened to them. So the patients that haven't made it five years, it's not that they necessarily passed away because of chronic rejection or some kind of rejection. It could have been cancer, which is a side effect of transplant because you become immunosuppressed. And when you're immunosuppressed, like cancer and things like that are kind of left to run wild. 
if you if you have them at all in your body and we just didn't see it before or skin cancer in particular because the skin is your longest your largest organ so like mm-hmm. we have to be very careful about sun exposure and sunscreen and things like that but they they put us all in this big group and when you put that big group together and that you say like the people that didn't make it but a few weeks maybe with people like myself and even my husband who's 21 years or even people that are 27 or more years like you condense it all down and like survival rate has increased a little bit I think it's closer to 60 percent at five years but not a big jump in the 20 years since my transplant. Like, we've only gone 10%. So it is a little bit of everybody. I think I mm-hmm. have definitely made my doctors think, okay, what's going on? I think one of them called me a Timex. Like, takes a licking, but keeps on picking. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, absolutely, yes, that is me. Like, what am I supposed to do? What else am I supposed to do? Uh, like, I'm not just going to lay down and let things happen, so... Um, I think, yeah, they do the best that they can with what they know. I I definitely don't feel like I'm dealing with amateurs when I'm with my clinic and my doctors in their practice. I love your idea for practice, though. Like, I'm sure we are teaching them as much as they have taught us, you know. Like, they're learning how we respond to medicine, how we respond to non, like, just having a good support system or having spirituality or having a positive attitude or having gratefulness, like those kinds of things, I'm sure that they can see how how they make an impact on each patient. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you just mentioned your husband, like, and yes, he is in this bio here. So I would love (laughs) to know um, how he, because I I see, I'm reading it, but, he um, also has CS. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. He has oh the my same mutation. You gotta tell me the story. Go ahead. You gotta tell the story. Go ahead. I don't have to tell. Do you want to hear the story? <laughs> I want to hear of like the fact that he. Um, how did how did you all meet? Right, and then how is he intertwined and all of the things that you just mentioned? Because I know that he is. So we met because he was my mentor through the lung transplant program. So we try to connect people that have the same lung disease uh, in order to, like, help the one that hasn't had a transplant walk through what to expect with a transplant. And the the mentoring um, program began – just shortly before my husband's transplant. So he had a mentor, but the guy before him, I don't think did. And mm-hmm. he saw the, how, just how valuable it was to him and how even more valuable it was to meet his mentor and see like that he looked healthy and whole and wasn't still on oxygen or, you know, had gained weight. You know, what, what did he physically look like? And uh, so he did the same thing for me when, I, I was assigned a mentor. They typically do gender to gender, like female to female, male to male. But the gal that was my mentor, love her, and she's actually still around too, but she and I didn't have anything in common. She didn't go to college. She was married right out of high school. Her husband is a nurse. Like, I'm like, 
girl, you're taken care of. I need to know what it's like to take care of myself. It's just me over here. I'm not married. I, you know, no kids, no nothing. I, I need to know what it's like to get back to work and take care of myself and be independent. And so when I told the social worker with the program, like, hey, do you have somebody else that I can talk to? Because I can't really relate to anything other than female stuff with this gal. Like, I need to know what it's like to try and go back to work. Can, can I go back to work full time? Can I get insurance coverage? What does that look like? Can I live independently again? Because, you know, I was living with my parents, being so sick, I wasn't able to take care of myself. So uh, she hooked me up with my now husband, Gary. Um, We do say that it was totally a setup because in the email that she sent to him, she said, hey, I have a new patient for you. She's an accountant as well. She's looking to talk about, you know, the topics I just told you. And then, P.S., she's cute, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, uh, and then when she told me is that I have the perfect mentor for you. Like, so I think there's a little bit of a setup, a little meet cute going on. But um, he's an accountant as well. He does the tax side of things. And so we met, we talked on the phone, like in March-ish. I was evaluated for my transplant and listed officially March 1st of 2004. He and I talked sometime in March, but because he was so busy, and we didn't meet until late April. He came to my parents' house. He, we talked. He answered my questions. He actually came again and met with my parents just, just the two of them alone to answer their questions, but that's how we met. He tried to keep his distance, but I think I'm just too cute and charming that he just couldn't stay away. So (laughs) Um, he kept checking in on me throughout the summer. And then in the fall, uh, we kind of started emailing more on a regular basis. Uh, he and I tease each other. We banter. We have a lot of wit back and forth. And uh, he likes that I wouldn't just, I guess, let him tease me and say nothing. Like, I would tease him right back. And yes. he thoroughly enjoyed that. So um, he, and, he and I still just kind of stayed friends. We became friends, not just mentor, mentee. We became friends that fall, and he was actually with me when I got my call for my lungs and went down with my family and sat around until he knew I was in surgery and doing okay and came back and saw me as much as he could before he left for his sister's wedding. And when he came back, he asked me out but said, like, don't get too excited. We have to have Dr. And I was like, too bad, man. I'm already, I'm already gone. So if they say no, I, I'm just going to be heartbroken. So the doctors said, yes, you can date, but keep it to emails for three months. <laughs> because when you are newly transplanted, you are very, very, like, fragile and susceptible to just about everything you can think of. So they wanted him to keep his distance so that I could heal uh, thankfully, he didn't listen. He did still wear a mask around me, but if we had waited for me to be, like, 
stable under their terms, we wouldn't have started dating for another six months because I had a pretty wretched deal of things after my surgery. Uh, but how he's a part of the spirituality and the positivity and all of that stuff that you said, I'm sure he's a part of. Yes. Um, we're both Christians. I ended up going to his church, which was amazing. It was like my first church home. He has had, I, I mean, I don't want to jinx him, but he has had no complication. His only complication with transplant is that he has become diabetic. He became a diabetic in 2011 or 12, uh, but that's, he's managing it with insulin, and it wasn't anything we didn't expect. I'm the one, I'm the one kind of like, experiencing all of the pitfalls of transplant and thankfully he it has been just a sturdy rock for me to latch on to when, when things get a little crazy has the um the fact that um both of you all share uh that has that actually uh probably heightened you all's compatibility and relatability to one another oh for sure i mean i'm sure like i we both believe that we've both made it as long and as far as we have because we have each other. Like we have somebody that understands. Now I go through some stuff that he doesn't understand. Like I have uh, other things outside of transplant that are difficult to manage and to deal with that he doesn't get very well, but he's learned and is managing and like he's, He's doing great in understanding and accepting those things. But it's, it is interesting to see, like, yes, he gets the cystic fibrosis and the transplant stuff. The stuff that he doesn't have, it, it's harder for him to grasp and to understand. So um, definitely it's a, it's a, hey, I've been through this. I understand. I get it when it comes to transplant. Right. Okay. Terry Gobble is our guest right here on Intro to Info. I'm your, your host, Nikisha Best. Listen, if you have a question or a comment, we're here at 515-605-9376. That number again is 515-605-9376. What I like about this so much is that you possess something that I never could um, come to terms with, honestly. Um, you embrace everything, every diagnosis, and you are able to talk about it. You're not afraid to um, to talk to uh, people who share this. Me, myself, have albinism. And um, when I was younger, my mother used to try to get me to go to these albinism conferences and albino, whatever this. I just never wanted to do it because I'm like, I, I was having uh, a hard enough time carrying trying to figure out how I was going to survive, and I didn't want to see a whole bunch of people who, it was, I don't know, it, and I still am like that. I still don't want to be around. Like, it would just feel weird to me. So, but to see the fact that you're able to embrace this and be okay with it, talk about it with not, without having an attitude, being bitter, this, again, this is another type of education for me personally. So I just want to tell you, thank you for not being afraid. And you actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, by this bias, want to help of people who are in your same situation. And so my hat's off to you. Thank you. I It's taken a while. It was not a natural for me. I mean, you know, I knew when I was younger that I had it, but I did not tell anyone. It Even in college, 
a few people knew it, but when you're, I mean, you're struggling with, people can see it, right? Like it's a physical thing that people can see when it comes to yours. And that's harder. Like when I became sick and it was a visible illness, it was harder. It was hard for me. I didn't just say, Hey, I have cystic fibrosis and my lungs are failing. And that's why I look like I'm 20 years old and I'm wearing oxygen. Like I'm not faking this. This is real. So like I definitely went through periods of time where I was bitter. I mean, it was definitely bitter about, being sick and dying at 23 years old while my friends were excelling and getting married and starting to have kids. And I'm like, okay, I'm circling the drain. I'm not okay with this. So it's definitely taken a lot of healing, a lot of time. And just with transplant itself, being able to talk with others and say, hey, these struggles what I've been through might help you because you're going through it too. Maybe that's been like, what's been so healing for me because being one of very, very few, I didn't know anybody else with cystic fibrosis growing up. I didn't know anybody until um, probably about 23. And that was just an online community because we're not supposed to be around each other. We're supposed to maintain six feet of distance, apart at all times so that I don't know if you know about the movie five feet apart it is a movie based on two patients that have cystic fibrosis and just kind of what it's like where we're hospitalized and we have these friends that we can't like hug them we can't embrace them we can't they're suffering and and we can't go and touch them and try to comfort them and um some do some make the choice to do that and they can get sick they can end up carrying whatever infection the person that they went and hugged or spent time with or you know like some couples meet over there was a couple I knew that met over Facebook and Mm -hmm. the gentleman had a form of infection that was not treatable with antibiotics they call it bee cepatia in the CF community but it's actually Burkholderia sebacea is the name of the bug. And the girl that liked him decided, you know what, I don't care. I want to be around you. I want to be with you. We have, you know, a short life and I want to be happy. And so they got together and she wound up with it too. And unfortunately, neither one of them are here with us today. They both got transplants, but neither one of them succeeded for very long. Largely, I think, in part to that bug. Like, there are transplant centers that will not transplant patients with CF that have that particular virus because it's so bad. It's so untreatable. And so, like, there's CFers out there that make that choice and say, hey, you know what? Short life to live. I'm going to hang out with you and I'm going to spend time with you and maybe even have a relationship with you. Whereas my husband and I, he was transplanted. He wore a mask around me and still maintained distance when he was, like, with me and to protect himself from me. And then even still, after my transplant, he wore a mask for several months to protect himself still. So, like, it's, it's, it's not always been easy, and it's not always been easy to embrace. I understand, like, feeling kind of like the odd man out and not wanting to, like, put a spotlight 
on that, right? You're like, okay, <laughs> I don't need yeah. all of these people. However, there is something where if you have people that you can relate to, there's a lot to that. Like there's a lot of therapeutic positive things that can come from being able to relate to other people that are going through what you're going through. And listen, and I'm teachable. I'm listening. There's a reason why um, I approached you, you accepted, and we're on this interview. And I just, I'm, I'm learning. I think, Carrie, I need to develop the. It's not that sometimes I'm, I'm a big baby. And Tamika, you're on the line. I'm gonna bring you in just one second. But um, sometimes I'm just a big baby and I'm overthinking stuff. But uh, it was, it was like probably mind over matter. But I was like, I do not want to be around a bunch of people with albinism. Uh-uh. So just. <laughs> I'm like, just be me by myself. I was already getting looked at all the time. I didn't want to be around 20 of us, and then it would be really uh, um, heightened. Look at all of those people at Albany. I was like, I'm not about to do that. Tamika, come on in here. Um, she's a co-host of the show, and um, thank you for calling in. How are you? Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. Um. But no, Carrie, I, I just, I just admire that strength, and, and that's not the um, only um. I can't even pronounce the second one you have here. Ehlers <laughs> Danlos. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, Ehlers Danlos syndrome. And yeah, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. Look, you did. I'm trying to see. Did you put a yeah, description? I started writing some notes down. Go ahead. I don't know if I, I probably just kind of mentioned it in passing. It's a more recent diagnosis. Okay. So, um, in a sentence, what, what is it? So it, too, is a genetic condition, but what it is is it impacts the collagen in my joint to where uh, it doesn't function like it should, so I have hyperflexibility. So if you think of, like, people that are double-jointed or what people call double-jointed, um, or think of, like, Chinese acrobats that can stick their head in between their legs and flip over and do kinds of crazy stuff, like, I could do that. I can't now. <laughs> Because of age, but what ends up happening is when your joints um, when your joints fall and and bend in ways that they're not supposed to, when you're just trying to do day to day life stuff, your muscles respond in a way of like trying to, trying to compensate. So your muscles tighten and try to hold my head up, and they try to hold my shoulders up, and they try to keep me upright, or like even just my finger joints. I'm cleaning like dishes or something or trying to grab onto things, my joints and my hands will bend the wrong way. And so the whatever kind of muscle I have in my fingers or hands or wrists tries to overcompensate for that. And I end up having muscle spasms and just a good amount of pain, fatigue. Um, it's, it's just difficult to do life like I used to do. I was very athletic <laughs> Um, I ran, I played volleyball, like indoor, outdoor, sand, like track, I basketball, I did it all. But I 
as an adult, like at 35, when I was still spraining my ankle and pulling my shoulder and having all these kinds of injuries that I shouldn't be having, um, I started to just kind of, and it was hurting a lot. Like just getting out of bed was super hard. And, uh, I was hobbling, I remember hobbling down one of the hallways and my transplant nurse seeing me and saying, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I twisted my ankle, but, you know, I saw the the orthopedic person and they said that it's just my age and because I'm on prednisone for transplant. And she's like, it is not your age. You are 35. Like, you should not be walking around like this. So it kind of gave me encouragement to look into it some more as to, like, what it might be. And I finally got an appointment with a geneticist who essentially confirmed, like, yes, this is probably what you have based on family history, the fact that I've had a joint replacement. My parents have had several joint replacements, and they're not, you know, weren't even 65 yet, and just different things, stretchy skin, elbows that bend backwards, knees that bend backwards, just party party trick type stuff, but... But it ends up hurting in the morning. So, but there's various different kinds of Ehlers-Danlos. There's a vascular Ehlers-Danlos where the patients, like, literally their blood vessels will, like, shred because there's collagen all throughout your body. And when there's not, when the collagen's not working like it should, like, if you have vascular Ehlers-Danlos, if I if I'm understanding correctly, like things like your stomach can just rupture because it got so thin, and your body can't compensate by like getting more collagen. It just doesn't function like it should, and you can't supplement it with just taking collagen. Your body doesn't absorb it like it should, and so it's just. And that's I thankfully don't have that kind. But once you're diagnosed, they evaluate you to make to see like do you have these other types of more um, terminal types of Ehlers-Danlos, which thankfully I do not, but it's a lot. (laughs) Um, uh, Look, Queen of Hearts has just joined us. Queen, I'm going to take you off of mute. Uh, All the way from Florida, Queen is in that place to be. Hi, baby. How are you? I am here. I'm exhausted on beat, but I am here. Sorry for hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. How you doing, girl? Yeah. <laughs> hmm So thank you for being here, Queen. I know that you, you burn a candle mm. at both ends all the time, and I understand. But um, we're talking to Carrie right here. She's really breaking some stuff down. It's about some of the conditions that she has had to live with for so long. But she's, she is such a positive spirit. And um, I really hope the audience who's listening, if some people on the line right now, shout out to y'all that's on the line. If you got a question, put uh, press the number one, we'll bring you in. And then the people who are listening online and the people who listen in the future, guys, listen to this. Listen to how she is, she is dealing with it. She does not have an attitude. Because, Terry, what I do find, okay, and I just, you, you know, people, some people who, like, you know, have, in wheelchairs or deaf, they just walk around with an attitude. I'm like, what do I do? You know, so this is to find that you just keep trekking and you are positive. It's it's a uh, it's good to see. And so anyway, I've I've said that, but I, I mean you. that. 
Um, I appreciate I know that it. you were saying that you were um, an account auditor. Are you working currently? And if so, do, do these things impact your day-to-day work life? They, the first question, yes, I am still working, but not, not much at all uh, because it does impact my day-to-day work life. Um, initially, it was my loans that kind of I, – I can't – I don't know how to say this. I don't want to say came down with chronic rejection, but I ended up developing chronic rejection in 2018 to the point where they needed to treat it, and then I also caught a virus. So I ended up losing – so my baseline lung function was, I know you're not going to believe this, but 138%, which I'm an overachiever all around, around, but that's totally my my donor. He was like six foot two young. And so I was like 138%. And then when I dropped to 120%, I, I stopped. I stabilized. So, like, you know what? You haven't lost a full 20% yet, so we're not going to treat you. As long as you stay stable, you're fine, which I, I did. But in 2018, um, end of 2017, I dropped to 100% lung function, so I lost that 20% that they were saying they couldn't treat me until I lost it. And then I caught a virus that took me all the way down to 82%. So, like, my husband and I weren't sure what was happening. I resigned from all of my clients, and the type of business I do is I, I started my own accounting consulting firm, so helping small businesses like get their licensing, get their federal ID numbers, get their business up and running, help them with their books, help them with compliance in any way, if it's payroll or sales tax, whatever it might be. Uh, that's what I started my business like to do and who my target client was and I resigned from all but one client at that time um, so that I could take care of myself plus I didn't know what was going to happen and I didn't want to like leave all of these clients in the lurch Uh, the one I kept I know from church like we've known each other for years and so something happened I knew he would understand but I basically I still had a lot of appointments, a lot of procedures, a lot of infusions and things like that to do to keep my lung function stable. And by owning my own business, I can keep my hours flexible in order to do all of that. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. The fact that you had the option to do that is good. And it it, it seems like um, life is, is happening for you and not to you. Um, even from down to what the doctors have said to you, life is happening for you, not to you. And so that's wonderful. And then the fact that you're able to even have the option to start to open it. Everybody doesn't have the wherewithal to do that, first of all. And then secondly, they don't have the skill set to do it. To start a business is not just having the skill set, but you have to. It, it's a 24-7 uh, job out here. So kudos. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was scary for sure to go out on my own. You don't know if anybody's going to want your services or use them. Or I mean, I had help in getting, you know, my first clients, and then it was word of mouth kind of from there. So I'm grateful that people trusted me and referred me, and, you know, I wound up at a place where I it was, it was definitely a full-time job during tax season. Like, it's heavily weighted in tax season, even though I don't do taxes, the work that I do gets my clients' books ready for taxes. 
So mm-hmm. uh, the rest of the year was not as difficult, but, you know, I was, I was doing, uh, I probably had about 20 clients at one point. So and it was, I started with a, just a handful of a referral and then just those clients, those clients, given my name out, it, it got to be as, you know, as big as it did. So I was super grateful for that, but it was definitely scary. Like, how do I do this? Will I be a success? Like, you know, but thankfully my husband, his job is full time and he's able to work. And in that way, he helps me be able to mentor, you know, I take a few hours, uh, every couple weeks to go down to the hospital and talk to patients about what it's like to get a transplant. And I wouldn't be able to do that if, if he didn't hold down the fort, so to speak. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then she got a man that's a liability and not, I mean, uh, asset, not a liability lady. Cause you know, Carrie, sometimes women get, get a little desperate and they get liability husbands. And I'm like, he, you got to have asset husbands. Um, where are you guys with the um, with, with children? Do you guys have children? Do you want children? Um, I, I know what you said earlier, but is that the case for you guys? Right. Where are you all with, with? So we can't naturally have kids. He in a relationship before me when he was pretty serious, and it seemed like to her it was a really big deal. It was kind of a make or break it situation. He actually got tested, and he is not able to have kids. I never got myself tested. We did talk about adoption, but we're like, what What sort of crazy adoption place is going to give two people that have had a transplant a kid? <laughs> like, that poor kid's been through enough. What if we don't only make it to five years, you know? Like, then they have to try and find a new home. But I had so many complications, like, from beginning to, honestly, 2018, that it was like, you know what, I'm kind of the kid. <laughs> I'm the one taking all the resources and time out of us. So um, I'm glad that we we were we, we didn't adopt because I would feel pretty badly for that kid. Like I feel like they would be pretty neglected just because I'm so exhausted all the time dealing with what I deal with that trying to, I mean, parents are exhausted, period, from what I can tell from our friends that they have like barely anything left for themselves. So like I can't imagine I would have to come first and my health would have to come first. I can't imagine giving just that little morsel of energy I've left at the end of the day to the kid. They deserve so much more. Okay, Carrie, personal question, follow up question with regard to what you just said, saying that you see parents who are exhausted and they barely have time for themselves. So with that said, do you understand why some people opt to not have kids? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I get that it was a sort of a societal thing. Like you got married, you had kids, and that's what was expected. And it's almost like it's it's the question, right? We get asked it at parties of people we don't know. They're like, so what do you do? Do you have kids? Do you, you know, and it's like, no, I don't, but don't look at me sideways because I don't. Um, I, I feel like if you know who you are, not the people that have kids don't, but if you accept who you are and enjoy who you are and enjoy your mate, whoever it might be, like that's enough. 
and some people want kids and that's great. Like I love kids personally, but, and I grew like from age of 12 until I graduated, I babysat kids. So I love them dearly, but like it is a huge decision and a huge choice. Like you are saying, I have enough time and I have enough space in my heart for, for kids. So like, we're going to have them, but it's okay if you don't want them too. like, I totally get why people are like, just the two of us is enough. We can add a dog or a cat or a bird or whatever. And, and we're happy to be just us. We have dogs. They bring me so much joy. Um, I never, there was like maybe a short period of time. I was like, should I have had kids? But I really think that that was just me being a female around the age of 35, 37 thinking, am I supposed to do this? (laughs) Was I supposed to do this? Uh, But no, like that for us specifically, the kid would be like one of my caretakers would end up, and I mean, Unfortunately, like it would almost kind of end up being that way. They would see their mom needing so much help and just kind of be put in like a caregiver, caretaker role when they, they're just supposed to be a kid. So it, it worked out for the best for us. Well, Carrie, in case anybody, um, uh wants to follow you on social media, wants to contact you, um, how, how can they go about doing that? I would say the easiest way is like a, a message through either Facebook Messenger or Instagram. Like my Instagram is I see beauty, like E-Y-E-C-E-E beauty. Um, my Facebook is it's Carrie Cerati Gobble. Uh, I can't recall the exact um, address, but Serati is S-E-R-A-T-I. Gobble is gobble, G-O-B-B-L-E. <laughs> uh, and my first name is spelled C-A-R-R-I-E. So uh, my page is public, so hopefully people can find me and maybe see, you know, a little bit of what, a little sneak peek into my life. But Messenger or a DM through Instagram are two perfect ways. I have enjoyed you so much. Um, I'm thankful once again for you being our guest, giving us an hour of your time. Um, I would like to keep in contact with you. Thank you for all that you taught me. And um, I wish you and your husband continued success and and good health. Thank you. It's it's been so much fun. I appreciate your honesty and your transparency with what you're you know, what you go through and how you feel about things. And it's just been such a joy. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, absolutely. And to the listeners listening live right now, thank you so much for your listenership. To my my host, Queen of Hearts and Pam, much appreciated as always. You guys, this is Intro to Info. We are broadcasting live Saturdays, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We hope you have a great upcoming productive week. Continue to listen to the network, and if you feel so inclined, you start your own show. All right. We'll talk to you later. Peace. Good night. Good night, and thank you. Thank you. Good night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.